Welcome to Riders Talking TV, brought to you by the Riders Guild of Canada. I'm John Ward, the producer of today's Riders Talking TV podcast. Before the podcast begins, I wanted to let you know there were some technical issues, making it hard to hear some questions from the audience. As a result, you'll hear my voice repeat some of those questions during the podcast. And now, on with the show. I'm Sarah Dodd, showrunner of Cardinal Blackfly Season and a writer-producer who has worked on many shows, including Ransom, Motive, and Arctic Air. Today, I'll be speaking with Brad Wright, writer, creator, and showrunner of the Netflix showcase series, Travelers. Brad is an award-winning Canadian writer-producer with over 500 hours of television to his credit. He is best known as co-creator of the television series Stargate SG-1, Stargate Atlantis, and Stargate Universe, along with two other movies in the long-running franchise. Welcome, Brad. Thank you, Sarah. So I'm, I'd like to get started just by asking you, how did you break into television? Oh, it's such a long story. It's so long ago, too, it almost is not germane. But I, I was in a theater company with my wife all through our 20s, right out of university, and we were doing social action theater. And uh, I was writing, a playwright and an actor in the company, and we'd get in a van and we would drive around. Every small town in Ontario I've, I know quite well. And we did good little funny plays and, uh, and made nothing. And, uh, and we were happy. And then we decided to, um, to have a family. And uh, this hunter-gatherer thing kicked in, like, big time. And I, so I realized I was very poor and, and needed to, you know, move into another field of the, of the business. And so I started writing screenplays, and I, I banged them out. I wrote, like, three, um, probably in about four or five months, and immediately got attention. And by the time the baby was being born, I got offered a job, which was wonderful, except it was in Vancouver. And I was living in Toronto. Especially back then, which is 1989, we're going back to, uh, it, there were not that many shows being made in Canada. So, um, so when you got offered a job in, in another, well, even now, you get it offered a job in another city, you, you just you have to take it because there's just not a lot of work being done even now in Canada. And, uh, and so I took this very junior story editor job, I didn't, and, and I didn't even really know what a story editor was. They just liked my writing. And by the end of the first season, I, I, uh, they got a ten, their 14-episode episode order turned into a 24-episode order, and I wrote six of those ten. So I, it was like trial by fire. This is a show called Neon Rider. And, I, and it went for five seasons. Uh, the last season was six episodes, which is funny because that's, that's a long season now. Uh, and, uh, but it, but we, it, was, it got to 65 episodes, and I just stuck with it the whole time. And it was a fabulous place to learn because it was just me and a bunch of guys who wanted to make a show. I, we were just kind of making stuff up. I, I didn't have that many people to learn from. And how did you get your, your script, your sample, in front of the decision makers to get that job? Well, I, I was trying to get my feature scripts optioned by producers. In, in the, and I was just... Naivety can be very helpful. <laughs> especially when it, it, it is attached to uh, a lot of drive. Uh, and I, I found, the script found its, uh, both of my feature scripts that uh, Jonathan Hackett, who's a Toronto producer, quite liked. He said, you gotta read this kid. Uh, these are great, we'll never be able to make them, but these are great. Uh, and the guy by the name of George Bloomfield, who was a director years ago, uh, read it just because just he was interested because there, it, it was a long time ago and, and uh, new voices were, were rarer. And, uh, and literally it just got into the hands of uh, uh, Mary Kahn who was a producer on Neon Rider and she phoned me and said, so how do you feel like coming out to BC and making no money whatsoever but it'd be really good, it's a job. And I went, okay. And then I phoned John Hackett. I said, I just got a job as a story editor. And he said, that's fabulous. And I said, what's a story editor? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I, I had no idea, um, but it was it was it was just you know banging on doors. And John Hackett was so kind uh, to listen to this probably pretty obnoxious twenty-something guy uh, saying, "Make my movie, make my movie." Um, uh, and eventually, he did hire me, or get me. He didn't hire me because he was the line producer, and I didn't know the difference at the time. But uh, he got me a job on Black Stallion, 
uh, for the first season of Black Stallion. So, uh, uh, you know, I can, I, I can now say I've written for a horse, which is really... Yes, me too. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah of course. Saddle club. We, we have that in common, yeah, yeah I remember. <laughs> so, from Neon Rider and Black Stallion, when did you first decide that you wanted to write sci-fi? I've always wanted to write sci-fi. Uh, it's just that there wasn't sci-fi being done in Canada. There was a show in Toronto called War of the Worlds, um, and uh, there was a Canadian story editor on it. I can't remember his name. Jeremy. Jeremy Hole. Jeremy Hole. Good. And and uh, and I, I wrote a bunch of pitches, and, and and John Hackett, who was a producer on that show, got them into Jeremy's hands, and and Jeremy said, uh, "Well, I'd like you to come down for a meeting." And so I'm so excited. It's my I'm, my wife's pregnant, and I'm trying to get a TV job. And Jeremy calls me into his office, and and uh, and I'm, I'm said, "Oh, this is really exciting for me. I'm sorry if I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, I would love to write for the show." And he said, "No, no, no. There's not a chance in the world you're ever going to write for this show. I just wanted to meet you." Oh. And I went, "Oh." And I, <laughs> but uh, you know, he he just said, "Yeah, I just wanted to find because he said I barely write for the show. It was it was a very American-driven." Uh, he, they had to hire a Canadian writer, and, and Jeremy was like basically sitting in his office for that show. It was awful. Uh, and so, because they did very little science fiction in Canada that was Canadian, if any, uh, there was a show years and years ago uh, that was Canadian. Cured. What was the name of the show? Memory Guys? Star Lost. Yeah, good answer. Uh, I think it was called Starless. Uh, it was Canadian. It was shot in Toronto, and it was terrible. It was cheap, but I watched it because uh, it was science fiction, and I thought, well, maybe I could work on that show someday. But when The Outer Limits came to Vancouver, I said, oh, I have to write for that show. I have to write for that show. I, I uh, had an American agent and a Canadian, Canadian agent at the time because I was trying desperately to write for Star Trek, and uh, just because it would have been great. And it's not, that I, it's not because I wanted to move to L.A., because I always wanted to stay in Canada. It's just that I loved Star Trek, and I wanted to write for it. So when The Outer Limits came to town, I just I said, get me a meeting, get me a meeting. And I, and I, and I went in, and I, and I had, like, pitches. And, they, and little did I know, they desperately needed Canadian writers because they kept hiring American directors. And the way the Canadian... Uh, tax credit system works if you're six points out of ten, is if there's a Canadian director, you have to have a Canadian... If there's an American director, you have to have a Canadian writer and vice versa. So, uh, I got, I, I got uh, the, uh, a couple of scripts. Uh, or I thought... I, was, I had no... I didn't even have... A, the, the, the funny story of that is I, I'm going to meet this guy named Michael Cassett who loved my pitch, and I'm going to go in and I'm going to pitch to Michael Cassett, who's the showrunner of The Outer Limits, and I'm all... Oh, okay, okay, this is great. I've got some experience now. It's going to be a great show. I love this job. I go in with my ideas. I have a meeting with Michael Cassett at 11 o'clock. Oh, Michael got fired this morning. Oh, okay. Is my meeting canceled? No, no, no. Richard wants to meet you. So I go in with this guy, and he's on the phone like nine-tenths of the meeting. And in the and, and it's like, so anyway, I'm halfway through my pitch, and he goes, hey, hang, hang on a second. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, and, uh, and then I'm, I'm expected to pick up again on the pitch after he gets off the phone. I'm thinking, oh, this is not going well. They bought it. They bought the, they bought the story. They bought the script. I write the outline. They send me, to, they send me the script. They offer me uh, a staff position uh, off the first script. And, and by the end of the first season, I was a supervising producer. And it was because they, they had nobody on that show who knew how to write cheaply enough to save money because they were all used to larger budget American shows. And science fiction is expensive anyway. And I was pretty good at writing lower budget stuff because uh, five years and six years in Canadian television. So uh, I saved them literally like 19 times my salary the first year uh, and... and uh, took every one of their dead scripts that they had th thrown away and rewrote them <laughs> and said, here, it's a good script again. <laughs> and they aired them. It was great. Uh, and uh, ended up being co-exec producer by season two. And you knew you'd found your niche. Oh, what? Uh, 
If anybody gets, offers you a job doing anthology, do it. It's the hardest you'll ever work, but it is so much fun because every week it's a new show. Every, you know, and you run with yours. The other writer producers tended to run with theirs. You gave each other notes. You supported each other, obviously. But you, you came up with, not a pilot, a one-hour story in a science fiction universe that you created for this one hour. You cast, uh, generally we got some pretty amazing cast, too, because people, actors love doing anthology because they, they're dipping their toe into TV without having to sign a seven-year contract. So we got some pretty good names. And, and the best part of all, they're all on their best behavior because they're only there a week. They don't start measuring their trailers until the second week, as we all know. <laughs> uh, you know this. <laughs> uh, so best job ever. Best job I could possibly ask for. And, and the hardest job I've ever done because we were, you know, you, you, you finish your episode and you cut it and you're going back to a completely new concept with a completely new set and we only had like three or four stages. And you had to coordinate everything with the three other writer-producers that were on the show and, you know, alternate, essentially. So all I did was work. But that's this business. This business, once you're working, there's no medium in this, in this job. It's, it's full-on, as you well know. So true. And on Outer Limits, were you breaking in a room with other writers in, in the style that um, you work now? No. No, on the Outer Limits, because, because each episode was its own animal, we would, and because we answered to uh, uh, an uh, American production company named Trilogy, I'm not quite sure what they did, uh, other than I had to pitch to them, they had to approve it, and then together we would go to MGM and then pitch to them and they would approve it. Fortunately, because we were on showcase, Showtime, rather, uh, it was an output deal and they just pressed play, which I love in a network. Uh, it's the most fun, you know, it's just, just, they just say, great, thank you. So, but I did have Trilogy and MGM to those hoops to run through. And so what we did, we had a unique... We had to create a, a, a pitch document that was sort of almost a form. It's silly. <laughs> and uh, I used to just go in and say, okay, how about this? And, and they'd say, great. And then event that's eventually what would happen. And, I, and then I would just go write an outline. And because it would take so long for them to read an outline and approve the outline, I would write the script. And then when they greenlit the outline, I'd, I'd have the script because... Uh, I knew that we didn't have time to do anything else any, anyway because we were shooting it and uh, had to shoot it in two weeks. But, uh, but what a great job. What a spectacular job. I did, I did like seven of the first season uh, as, a, as the producer, writer. All, my name is not all of them by any means, but uh, it's not a bunch of them. And, uh, you know, we did some in six days. We did some in nine days. It was just a free-for-all. Is that when you relocated to Vancouver? Permanently? No, I, I, I relocated to perma uh, permanently in 1989. I mean, I, I came for three months to work on Neon Rider and stayed for 29 years, well, which is longer. we're glad to have you. Yeah, well, thank you. It's nice to be here. <laughs> um, Although, don't buy a BMW X1, I'll tell you. Right. <laughs> Sorry. There goes our sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. um, can you tell us a little bit about the specific challenges of writing sci-fi. You've, you've touched on it's always expensive and um, it's a challenge to, to do a good job with the money we have. Um, are there some other considerations specifically for this genre? Huh. Well, there, I, I hesitate because there's so many different kinds of science fiction and, and, uh, and if you were, tr say, doing future stuff, if you're trying to do uh, big space stuff like S Stargate Universe, you're building a spaceship. You know, I mean, we built a spaceship set that was massive and filled uh, two full stages of, uh, of of stuff that's built from scratch, of stuff that is not. You know, there's no drywall in space. It's uh, it's you. Everything is made uh, and conformed and and. Uh, and when you look at a window, there's stars. It's, so there's nothing about it. That, and of course, all doors have to open you know, as you walk toward them. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the way it is in space. Um, 
And, and so we spent five and a half million dollars just on three quarters of the set that was designed, and then came up with a clever way to delay the uh, the really expensive part, the bridge set, etc., until the second season. Uh, we just didn't find it until the second season. <laughs> it's big shit. Um, and uh, but again, another two so seven million dollars roughly all in on a, on on your standing sets is, is something that normal shows do not have to do. They're expensive. Every set you build, like even Travelers, which is the smallest show, uh, has hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of standing sets now, which we have to move. Um, but uh, it is. You know that that's that's a big 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 cost. Another one is when you type um, a space battle, for example, or or uh, a plane crash. You know something as simple as a plane crash. Uh, it's easy to type, you know, but actually doing the CG for it uh, is is incredibly expensive, and you end up spending seventy five, eighty, ninety thousand dollars on you know what amounts to a ninety second sequence. Um, Travelers is not uh, a, a very special visual effects driven show, um, so it's very it's very much a normal show in terms of budget, but it's still very much a sci-fi show. That's why I hesitate. Um, I have other shows in development, and have done other shows um, that would cost like way more even than what we did on on Stargate Universe. Um, and I've done shows like when we did the Outer Limits, we were doing stuff uh, that the uh, we were shooting in sixteen, and uh, it was four by three standard def. So you could get away with using a garbage can lid as a hatch on a spaceship, but you can't do that in four K. <laughs> they they can read the garbage can lid label, and uh, people go, oh, "That's a garbage can lid." So it just doesn't work. And so those things that economies that we used to be able to do. In the old days, uh, the old days, uh, that you just can't do now because of 4K, because of technology, because of the new sophi the sophistication of, of today's audience. It's, they're just like the expanse on sci-fi looks like money because it is. It's a very expensive show. Um, having said that, uh, CG is allows us to do a lot more than we could in the old days. On 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 the outer limits, we would do one visual effect shot per episode and then matte paintings and um, and uh, on uh, on Stargate you know we, we did whole sequences that were CG um, one funny thing about that though is in 1997 the first time somebody one person walking through a Stargate the you know the big puddle that we had if you've ever seen the show uh, cost five thousand dollars uh, the last shots of uh, in 2011, when we finished Stargate Universe, one person walking through the Stargate cost $5,000. Did not get cheaper. Because the, 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 yes, the computer part of it did, but it's still labor. It's still, as they, as they say in this business, bums in seats. It's still people doing the work of, of the animation. And that labor has gone up, so the prices stay the same. Hmm, that's really interesting. Well, we're going to screen an episode of, of Travelers today. So, Oh, have I seen it? I hope, I hope so. so. Yeah. <laughs> um, just um, by way of uh, segueing into watching mm -hmm. episode 201, the season premiere of yes. season two, um, can you tell us a little bit about um, the genesis of this idea? Oh, sure. Uh, let me just ask before, is, it, is most people here seen season one or seen the show? A show of hands, everybody seen season one? A bunch of season one? Yeah, good. Because season two requires a certain knowledge of season one. So you may be confused. Uh, sorry. Uh, what was the question? Uh, the genesis for oh, Travelers. Oh, okay. Well, I had pitched it to, um, uh, to Canadian networks, and then I had gone down to, uh, to sell it because co-partnerships co are the only thing that, uh, way to make things get things done, really, and at least the way I think of it. Uh, and I pitched it to all the major networks and thought I had sold it in the room several times. Uh, and my agent said, oh, they, they bought it. They're just they're going to get a call in the car on the way back. And, and the reason they didn't buy it was because they had a hard time explaining it to their boss after they left the meeting. 
Uh, and they they said that it was very funny to me on the phone. And I went and I said, "Well, tell you what, I'll I'll write the pilot as a spec because it's in my head. I just I'll just bang it out." So I start doing that, and I'm about three quarters of the way through writing it, and I get a phone call from the CFC, the Canadian Film Center. If you, uh, if you ever get an opportunity to go through that program or 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 be a mentor at that program, depending on where you are in your career, do it. It's fabulous. Um, the uh, the, the, the two folks, Catherine, uh, called me at the CFC and said, would I be interested in being the showrunner in residence for the program? Uh, you would need to have a pilot near, you know, that you want to write or already written that you could develop in the room. And I, the timing could not have been more perfect. I was so ready to do something like this. I, have, I was so kind of tired of uh, the jaded uh, world that I had been working in uh, in Stargate for so many, so many years. And uh, wanted the fresh, the fresh faces that I was going to get to meet in this situation because I needed a whole bunch of new writers uh, anyway if I was going to do another show. My, all my guys have their own shows. And, um, and uh, so I said yes. And uh, I was literally uh, two weeks away from finishing my pilot. I got to help choose who the writers were in the program. They gave me 25 scripts. I, we brought, took it down to nine. And uh, we spent the fall of whenever it was, a few years ago, uh, coming up with the rules of Travelers, coming up with stories. And I was literally, they, they, they had never been in a writer's room. Um, so it was great. They had to do it my way. And, uh, but it was fun, too. I mean, we, we put stuff up on the whiteboard, and we, and we broke down stories, and we tried to do one a week so that everybody had one to go off and write. Can I ask you what materials you gave the writers in advance of opening that room at the CFC? Sure. I had, a, I had like a six-episode uh, season document because I had stories and I had an arc of the season and I had some rules and all the characters and I had the one-hour pilot script. And, um, but that's not enough. I mean, it's not a series. It's, it's, you have to take that and then you, especially in science fiction, we spent a week on rules, on what are the rules of travelers, what are the rules of time travel, what you know? What are the pitfalls? What are the things that can go wrong? What are et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and and then we spent another week on the characters, like what, who is McLaren? What does he want? Why? Because uh, I introduced, I basically introduced the lead so late in the pilot, which is like, never do that. Uh, because and fortunately it was Eric McCormack who I had who I knew a little, or at least he remembered working with me on the Outer Limits. And and kept reading until his name showed up, <laughs> because uh, he, you know. And and fortunately, he loved it. But um, no, I I rewrote, uh, we rebroke. In fact, a lot of those stories that we did, um, and and uh, I'd say only Tara's uh, is mostly intact of that original uh, eight scripts that we came out of with. That's Tara Armstrong. Yeah, yeah. Who would have been in my writer's room if she didn't get her own show? Um, uh, I said when when I told her I said I uh, we're gonna we're gonna go. Uh, she said I might not be available, and I said it better be your own show. And she said it is. And I went, oh, I can't get mad at that. I just couldn't. She was she's very talented. But I you know we rebroke and 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 rewrote a lot of the other ones, keeping as much as you can, as you know. But I mean we we reinvented the series again when it became real. But they all got their credit. I said, because I'd promised them. I said, if we make your show, you'll get your credit. So they paid for their CFC and more, way more. And uh, and there was a lot of good stuff in there. There was a lot of good work in there. So they deserved it anyway. And did you uh, bring any of those CFC writers on to um, I did. the Vancouver room? I did. Three. I would have been four, but it ended up being uh, uh, three. Uh, Pat Smith, Ashley Park, and Jason Whiting. Um, and... Uh, and it, uh, Tara would have been there, but she got her own show. And uh, since then, we've brought uh, Ken aboard, who, uh, who uh, also saves you when your car is in trouble. So, Great. Well, with that, I think we should... Should I do any setup for this at all? For, the, for anybody who hasn't seen it? Please, if... Uh, okay. If at the end of season one, uh, our team has been uh, essentially caught by the FBI. And we're found out, and we've been a secret organization for a whole year, and uh, that's a very big problem. And so most of this episode is getting out of the corner we painted ourselves into. 
And, and if anything, that's the fun from a writerly perspective. That is the fun of this episode while introducing a new adversary and going back and forth between those two storylines. So let's watch that. Great. Thank you. Great. I have a million questions here, but we have to um, give up our theater at three, and I want to make sure we have enough time for oh, yeah, everybody let's get to... Some questions from these guys. Yeah. I just want to say, uh, after watching that again, how much I love my cast. <laughs> They're so good. They're so good. I, I, we, you know, casting is the secret to making a good television show, as you well know. And uh, they're so uniformly right across the board, fabulous. I love them. Uh, and uh, our, our composer, Adam Latuska, Vancouver guy. We're Canadian, right top, top down. Really proud of that. I do have a question about um, your decision to set it in the Pacific Northwest. You never come right out and say Vancouver. Yes. Um, there's a little reference there that would suggest that it's in the States. Yep. We've got to watch those Canadians. Um, can you tell us about your decision? Being set in Canada is far less important than it, than, because I believe any art is imbued with the sensibilities of those who create it. Uh, we're all Canadians, so we're making a Canadian show set wherever. I, I'm generic because uh, American audiences tend not to be... Uh, if it's if it said CSIS and not FBI, they would be what the hell is that? And you just can't. It's it you can't go forward uh, without succeeding in the American marketplace. Um, and uh, and I make no apologies for trying to make a show that will sell internationally. Um, everybody knows it's Canada, and I'm not specific to Seattle either because. Uh, then we're tied to the ge actual geography of a real place. When you say, oh, we're going to go from Bellingham or to whatever to whatever, and it takes two and a half seconds, not the 20 minutes it would, but, you know, you, you, I, I, I'm never specific to, uh, to real geography. It's, uh, it's a trap in television, especially if you go along a long time. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay, so... I want to open it up to questions now, um, just to make sure that we don't run out of time for everybody who wants to speak. Regarding casting, did you write with anybody in mind to begin with? That's a great question. Um, I wrote David for Patrick Gilmore, period. And uh, that's actually a part I wrote for myself, but I hired a better actor. Uh, Patrick is wonderful. I just know how he's going to say a joke. I just know how he's going to... I know his cadence. I know the man, and and uh, and think he's he's the most underrated actor in the world. Um, in fact, at his audition, because uh, I had to put everybody on tape just to show Netflix and showcase who the leads were going to be, uh, and uh, he was in his car, and I tapped on the window and he went, "Hey!" and I said, "I wrote this for you. Don't fuck it up." <laughs> And he did not. He was fabulous in the audition, and I knew he would be. I wrote, um, I wrote for Eric, but did not expect to get Eric. I mean, he was he was uh, one of the voices I had in my head when I was writing it because I I had worked with him and love working with him, and he I just didn't think I'd get him, and uh, and now that he's doing Will and Grace two or as well not Will and Grace two I guess it is Will and Grace two in a way. Um, he, I'm even more likely to have him, but he is so he so loves our little show. He's not going to not do it, no matter what happens. Uh, he's making NBC wait f f until we finish shooting season three. If we and we probably will, I'd say our chances are in, our, in the high ninety percent because we just I just came back from LA where I met with Netflix and uh, it's they they're not greenlighting it yet, but uh, they made all the indications that they're going to. Uh, as for everyone else in the cast, uh, except for guest characters that show up, I like, I mean, I just, how do you not write Ray and see Ian Tracy? I've known Ian for, you know, 20 years too. Um, so, uh, no, we just, we just found them. Ma Ma Maureen, uh, put out a, a, a casting, you know, to the world and we got some amazing people. And my rule is always, I look here first. And if we can, if we had to go to an American uh, or British uh, casting pool, we would have. Uh, but I'm 
Canadian and, and feel very strongly about keeping a business here. And, and uh, we were so confident that because of the cast we put together, uh, we didn't even have a U.S. casting director. Uh, we just did it all in Canada. And yet we're not a 10 out of 10 show, so we don't get all that CMF money. So it's kind of silly. But, in the, but at the same time, I'm, I, having discovered some, some relatively new faces uh, who are about to break out, and all of whom had way better offers on American shows for one-hour pilots, they chose our show because they love the characters and because, like Mackenzie Porter, for example, is getting to play a role that, that just normal American television wouldn't allow her to play. And you should see what she does later on in season two. It's, she's good. Can I ask, um, once you were cast, did you find that you were making um, significant revisions to the way you'd imagined the characters? Did you, did you tailor things once you had people in place? That's a, that's a great question, and you're right. Sometimes you have to make, uh, sometimes as soon as the voice, because when you're writing a pilot, you, you have a voice in your head that represents the character, and as soon as it's cast, that voice becomes whoever the actor is. And the more you learn that voice, the more their cadence and more their, the more their natural rhythms inform your writing. Uh, it's very helpful for your writing staff because until then they're trying to imagine what the voices in your head sound like. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it's, so it's difficult. And which, so you end up doing more rewriting, especially earlier on in a season, because you know character voice is a very important part of, of television show. Um, but uh, we did the, we read the, the pilot, and I'm expecting to make notes and have changes, and they all basically just read the script, and I, we've made so little changes that I can remember uh, after the pilot script that it, it, it just, if there was a gradual transition, it was very gradual. There was no major rewrites. Now, on other series, I have, like, completely rewritten characters because of who they were and their, their cadence and... Like I had one character that I wrote as a member of Mensa, and after the read-through, I had to cut that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I won't say who that is. <clears throat> Do you spend a lot of time on set? I I love spending time on set, but when I'm on set, it means a there's something wrong, or b I should be doing something else. Uh, I I uh, I like to come for blocking when we're in the studio, morning blocking. Uh, and just to check in with everybody. Uh, but um, on Stargate, I, I had a co-showrunner, and so it was much more easy to spend more time on set uh, because we alternated. On this show, uh, with a fairly young writer's room, uh, I have to be in every meeting. So uh, I'm prepping, I'm, and, uh, or I'm in post, uh, or I'm in the writer's room. So... It's being on set is, is something that as much as I love to do, it's it's uh, the least effective use of my time. So um, the showrunner's job is to be in a million places at yes, once yes. and be excellent in every field. Um, I don't think you have to be excellent at, at every field. You have to be excellent at recognizing when other people are excellent in their field and and allowing them to do their job. I, there's the kind of showrunner that is like, no, 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 I said to do it this way, and I... Mm. I'm really happy when somebody brings something that I never imagined but is better. I'm, you know, my name's on the show anyway. Uh, great, that's fabulous. I never even thought of that in a million years. We're going to do that. And that makes people really happy uh, when, they, when, they're re when they realize that the, the hours and hours and hours of work that they're doing all the time is, is listened to and meaningful. So do you, um, in your writer's room, as you're, you said that you have um, new writers that you're yeah. working with on Travelers, um, do you allow them to produce their own episodes? Um, in a uh, that will happen, uh, but not yet. We're not there yet. It, it definitely will happen. Uh, the reason it can't happen yet is because we, we're, you know, we're a small writer's room. There's four, four of them and me, and, and uh, we have to the scripts have to be finished before you can leave the writer's room and, and go and attend meetings. So the sooner the scripts are available, like, uh, for example, toward the end of the season, uh, Ken was available to run completely with his episode. But uh, but I... And, and, and in fact, toward the end of the season, uh, 
Jay and Ken's script, I, did, I rewrote the least of all uh, of, of, of all of them. But um, that that comes, that does definitely come. But but it requires two things have to happen. First of all, it has to be really mostly, if not all, their writing. When I when I take a script and and do a fairly hefty rewrite, I'm going to do all the meetings. Uh, it's just not cool. And do you take the writer with you to those meetings, or do if you they ca if if they're available, if they're not, if they need to be writing the next script, no. Then they don't have time. They don't get to go. Um, it, it's all about efficiency. Uh, absolutely, I want the writer to be able to attend if if there's time. If there's no time, uh, then no. Your job is to be a writer right now. Um, and to be working on the next script. Um, so I, I work with Andy Makita fairly regularly on series I do in Vancouver, and he mentioned how you get the scripts to the team in plenty of time. Never are they prepping off an outline. They always have a, a fairly polished draft in time to, to get it ready and shoot it. I'm, I'm offended by the way some showrunners hand scripts uh, three-quarters of the way through prep to a crew or to a director and say, here, it means they have no clue what the process is. Getting a script ready in plenty of time for everybody to do their job as well as they can, even though there will be changes, there's going to be dialogue botchkey changes and even location changes, but this is the story we're telling, this is the, this is the thrust of what we're doing, allows everybody to do their jobs. Television is, is, a, is, a, is a business where everybody across the board in every department works they're ass off because, you know, you'll sh I'll show up at 6.30 in the morning on a Monday and by no means be the first person there because somebody in the art department is doing something. Uh, or, or the props person is, is, you know, getting the props ready for the day. Because it's, it's, just a, it's just that, it requires that much energy. And when you don't, when you're not prepared, when you, when you don't allow a director to give, to go to create a shot list... That is that they feel comfortable with and that they can show up on day whatever, knowing this is what we're doing. Then, then you know, so great, good for you. You've managed to put all a bunch of nice words down in a script, but you haven't done what a screenwriter's job is, which is to give uh, give the the blueprint for the rest of the process, which is the making of the thing. That's what we do. Writing it is a, is is the beginning. It's not the whole thing. And and I would go further to say that. Once you are in production, character uh, not even character action description has to be very precise and very thoughtful because it's it's incredible how uh, well you learn this early in your career when you when you write something that oh my god you built that that was a metaphor you know what I mean I uh, <laughs> the old laser eyes exactly yeah, yeah. exactly he, he shoots darts well here's anyway here's the dart I was thinking. Uh, <laughs> They have to. They have to. They go. They go through with highlighters. They're not looking at your dialogue. They don't give a shit about your dialogue. They, what are the, What is? What is? What am I responsible for? Got it. I've got to because you know that's their job. So you're you're putting your room together for a brand new show. Mm -hmm. um, what are you looking for in your writers? The the complement of skills. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I have I have um, I have two rules when I read a sample script. Uh, they're not rules. Two things that I look for. Uh, okay, this is your sample script. For God's sakes, be interesting. Just be interesting. I don't care what the subject is. But if I'm like, oh, this is competent. This is competent. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. That's you know, I. You have one chance to 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 get your script into the hands of somebody. Just. That doesn't necessarily mean, and I've read a lot of scripts where, the, you know, there's a murder on, on line number seven, just, just to be, in, you know, interesting for its own sake. Uh, that, that can mean anything, be interesting, but, but that is a requirement. If I finish a sample script, then you were interesting. I, I cared about how it was going to end. Uh, I don't finish every script I read because I know by page 10, uh, this person's not working. Um, but the most important thing is heart. If, if you're reading a script and somehow, and that heart means laughter too, if you can move the reader, um, if you can make somebody go, oh my God, or oh, I love that guy, or holy shit, he died, I loved him. Any of those things, uh, it, heart to me, 
is what makes good anything. Theater, television, film. Uh, when when something and you don't even it, it isn't even something that is that definable and something teachable. It's what makes an artist an artist. And and when I read a script that is, that has heart in it and and it makes me laugh or cry or moves me in some way, uh, and yet it's rough around the edges, I can teach that and I can rewrite that. But I can't add heart to a story or to characters that don't have it. What was your writer's room schedule like for Travelers? And were you able to keep your writers through production? Oh, I think it's really important to keep writers uh, into production as much as possible. Um, we worked, um, we did a room, uh, and we'll do that again this, next year, uh, next season, actually in a couple of weeks. Um, we're, uh, we'll go to, and we'll work like, not production schedule. We, you can't be creative for 12 hours in a writer's room. It's impossible. I mean, you can try, but you just start making jokes after hour eight. That's, everybody knows that. And, um, and, and to, you know, to, some days are very, very um, productive, and you'll, you'll bang out, you'll, you'll beat out a whole story, and you'll have the beats of a whole story on, on the whiteboard, and you'll go, wow, what a great day. I have a little thing that I like to do. I, I, I like to put it, put it up on the whiteboard again. It's amazing putting, you can be putting the same words down, but just doing it from this for a second time, you go, oh, this isn't nearly as good as we thought it was, is it? <laughs> and so, uh, and so by putting it up on a whiteboard and, and, and agreeing to what the beats are and, and then discussing what the, what all of the, you know, the elements are and, 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 and because they're, our writers are newish, Reminding them, no, 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 you can't go to a discrete location for, for three pages. You can't do it. I can't move, you know, we have to put together, well, maybe we could build a day out of this. And, you know, you, I, you have to write with a producer's hat on when, when, when you have both hats because it's very easy to write an unproducible script uh, and much harder to write one that you can board in seven, eight, six days, whatever the requirement is. Um, and then once we're in production, uh, the writer's room goes when I have time. I mean, we'll say, okay, let's carve out four hours here in the schedule to work on whatever the show is uh, as required going forward. Because the last thing you want is your writers waiting, just sitting on their hands waiting for you to come out of a, a meeting. Um, so it's just a question. And, I, and I'm, I'm incredibly... You say... Andy says I'm organized. I'm probably the least organized person in the world in terms of schedule. I don't, because it's silly to me. Like uh, Networks always say, well, what's your delivery schedule? And I say, well, when it's ready. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's soon enough, what do you care? I mean, uh, if, I, if I say you're going to get it three, two or three weeks before we start prep, that's plenty of time. So it will be that. That's my schedule. You'll get it in time. Well, I also happened to hear yesterday that uh, you don't really get network notes at this point. Is that um, true? I do get notes from our Canadian broadcaster and uh, Robin, and, and they're sometimes frustrating, mostly endearing, and quite often just questions. And we get on the I get on with the phone with them right away, and I and I or I write back and say, no, the answer to your question is this, and and that'll, that'll make them happy. Um, uh, and, in, and in Travelers, I, uh, Carrie Mudd, my producing partner, and I are the, are the studio. Like We borrow the money to make this show based on our Netflix contracts and, and our showcase contracts and our distributor. Um, so I have a lot of skin in the game. I should mention I have two Writers Guild of Canada t-shirts to hand out for the best questions. So. There was somebody in the back over there. Hi, I'm Selena. I love right. the show. I love Eric. <laughs> um, uh, my question is, seeing how it's 2017 and breaking in as a writer and all that kind of stuff and getting people to read your, your work and whatnot, what kind of advice would you give an emerging writer? Write your face off. Uh, write a lot and um, be proud of everything that you hand to somebody because your f first impression with, uh, with a script is huge. Like I, it's very. It's if you when you hand something, if you get it your hands into uh, your script into the hands of somebody who can give you a job. You know, it, it, it's got to be as good as as it can be. It's got to represent the best you can do. Um, and until you have that, don't hand it to that person. Uh, 
be sure, be sure. This is I, I'm really damn proud of this, and, and and everybody, all my writer friends who have read it to support me agree. Use your network. Use 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 the people that. Uh, what can you? Would you add to that? What do you think? Yeah, I think having a network of um, writers who will be honest with you yeah. is is critical because your mom's going to love it. Hopefully, my mom won't, but yours won't. <laughs> um, so so having a, a group that can keep you going through the hard times and give you constructive criticism and say yes I'm willing to read the next draft if you can do the same for me is really important it is and one more thing I would add to that don't rewrite the same damn script 500 times write it, get it as good as it can be I, 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 move on, write another one Throw, you know, write a, another pilot another sample, another whatever, another spec don't don't get stuck in the trap of this is the forty seventh draft and I think this is the one. It's just it'll kill you. I'm curious about your experience with Canadian broadcasters when you're developing a show that's conceptualized for an international market and you have to specify it has to be the FBI or it has to be Washington DC or, or you know no longer just clearly Canadian. How in in the current kind of market environment, how accepting are they of that uh, and and. You know, what sort of notes do you get to kind of thread that needle? I get mad, actually, at, at any suggestion that setting things in Canada is what makes it Canadian. It's, to me, I, I, used to, I did shows in space for so many years. You know, <laughs> the Canadian space program is not going to, you know what I mean? It's just not, it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Canadian-ness comes from the, the making of. Uh, in my mind, and that that's how I, I've always thought of it, and we do think differently. We we write differently. Our sense of humor is is a little bit different, uh, and um, I I don't know. I think we do, and and I I like it. I like having that voice, and I and I think. But but I understand your I understand your quandary. You you do if 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 your Canadian broadcaster is your sole broadcaster and they want to set it in Canada, then by all means set it in Canada. But if you 100% rely on the American um, co-broadcaster for the lion's share of your budget, and uh, they'll, they'll, they'll get it. They'll understand because it's the way it is. Canada has a large amount of money per viewer is really what I'm getting at. It's expensive to make television, like in the millions of dollars per episode, even on a small show. And because it's just because of the nature of the process when you when you try to get up to a certain quality, and uh, and you know the rules of Canadian content have kind of gone away in the in the in the in the traditional sense. You're now competing with the international marketplace. We're we're fighting for the opportunity to shoot shows in Canada with Canadian artists, period, just to air in a in an international marketplace. The uh, you know, and that's just the way it is. I'm fortunate in the sense that that's always how, that's how I've always approached it, and now that happens to be the way it is. Yeah, I agree with you that I think by virtue of the fact that you are a Canadian writer writing from your perspective, it doesn't matter where the show's set. True, mm -hmm. true, and I always put Canadian things in there, like as evidenced in. And and in, in Atlantis, one of the characters was Canadian, and he had a Canadian patch on his uh, was David Hewlett's character. And the American studio went, "He's not really Canadian, is it?" And I, and I said, "Yes, he's really Canadian." <laughs> Ooh, he's a novelty. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, hi guys, um, I was just wondering, as you move forward from season to season, and the leads get more of a grasp on their characters. Do they ever come back at you with notes for rewrites of the characters? And if they do, are you receptive to that or? Oh, uh, Eric is uh, a producer on the show okay. and, and uh, gave me notes on every script he's ever, we've ever done. And I remember saying to my wife, uh, so the good news is Eric's really smart. <laughs> the bad news is Eric's really smart. <laughs> Meaning uh, he finds things that, that our writer's room has not been able to, and, and you'll, go, you'll feel stupid. He really is very smart. Um, Everybody in the cast, and this has always been my rule, if you want to make a change, if you, if you want to adjust a script, um, absolutely, I'm completely 100% open to that, but come to me first. I'd, I'd like to put it in the script, please. Because otherwise, if it's just a, you know, 
semblance of what you wrote the, uh, being uh, performed on the set on the stage it, it it just it ruins the day the set the script supervisor is having a nightmare continuity becomes a problem having said that sometimes the location just demands okay this walk and talk uh, is way longer than was scripted uh, we need to ad lib a little just to make it longer I'm pff, I'm not going to object to that um, if somebody has a fundamental problem with how a, uh, how a character behaves or what has happened, my door is always open. I only close it for, for important phone calls. Just come in. Sit, talk to me. We have read-throughs, if we can, every episode. Uh, bring it up then. Uh, if you're complaining, I mean, it happens, as you well know, uh, on a stage, uh, an actor will go, oh, this, this, this isn't right, this isn't feeling right. I get that, too, you know. But but if if we've given you the script in far enough advance and you haven't come to me, well, suck it up and say the words you were written. <laughs> I'm not sure if maybe I haven't um, ventured into the Vancouver writers market enough, but I find that when I do work on shows, um, that a lot of the writers are from LA. Uh, almost almost every show I've worked on thus far, um, writers are from LA. And um, if not from L.A., I find that a lot of the Canadian television, like even growing up, is um, from Toronto. And it feels a little awkward thinking to myself, do I have to then relocate to these places? And Vancouver just has a very big market of things filming. Like currently, last I checked, I think there's around 70-some-odd productions on the list right now. And... Um, but of all those 70-some-odd productions, I think the last thing I could think of that was set in Canada, written by Vancouverites, was Continuum. Um, and the, just for a Vancouver writer, I almost feel like it, it may or may not be possible. I mean, I'm sure it's possible, but it just feels... I'm not quite sure how to phrase this question. I understand what you're yeah. saying. It's a, it's a bitch to break into this business because there's not enough story rooms in, in the city or even in Toronto for that matter. You're absolutely right. And, and I, I have said to uh, American showrunners, right after Stargate, I took a little time off and then, and then I got, people would offer me, I, w I would go down and take meetings because people wanted me to uh, basically, they, they loved the season showrunner concept because then I can tell a younger uh, American writer everything I know, and then they can get rid of me. <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, I got offered a lot of those jobs. And uh, I would say, uh, well, y you would be the showrunner, and I'd say, in L.A.? Yeah. You're shooting in Vancouver? Yeah. How can you be a showrunner? You're just, you're just running a story room. There's so much more to being a real showrunner, in my mind, the way I make television. You you have to, you have to be there. You know you can, you you've got to go on the locations count. You have to you have to know what you're writing to. There is a a, a definite uh, divide between uh, in terms of thinking in American shows between uh, uh, the kind of people who believe they need to, the room to be where the show is shot, and they say you're right. We should be in the room where the show is shot. It should be in L.A. <laughs> I said, no, I, I'm, I'd be happy to do your show. I, there's a, a, there was a couple of offers that I had, and I said, absolutely, but I would do the writer's room in Vancouver, and I would consider bringing in some Canadian writers. Why would you want to do that? Because there's good Canadian writers. I'm one of them. It's it just my back goes up. But you have to, it takes a, it's, it's hard to do that. It takes a while to do that, and you need to, you know, you need to, to put a wedge in that system. And, and, and kind of show them, yeah, it works. It really does. We're, we've got some good folks. Uh, it took forever on Stargate for me to uh, start hiring Canadians and then, and then bring all Canadians in. And then before, by the end, everybody was Canadian, um, all our directors and all our writers. I mean, they were saying, well, but what about so-and-so? And, you know, I'm just, I look here first. And it isn't just, obviously, it isn't just Continuum because Motive was here and... and uh, there's there there are shows. It's it's also the trouble is, we can't afford American-sized staffs. So when we get our five people or our four people, it's full, and you know it's hard 
to, to break into that. I know. It's, it, all I can tell you is to keep trying and, and to you know, uh, get meetings with n- n- uh, network people who help introduce you to the showrunners. I mean, mm-hmm. don't you think that? Yes, I'd also I'd also say it's worthwhile meeting all of the development people in yes. town at at our local production companies at Omni and Thunderbird and Forcebore and Lark because um, not only can you tell them about your own projects um, and everybody's always looking for new material now, um, but then they'll think of you. They've read your material. You're an exciting new writer. They have a show that's just been greenlit. They need to staff. They're going to suggest you to their showrunner and say, well, I just read an exciting new writer. Could you read her sample? She might be a good fit. Carrie Mudd, my producing partner, uh, has a small company in Toronto and reads scripts constantly. Um, and, and she only shares with me the ones that, are, that, are, that really stand out. And un- that's just kind of an unfortunate truth. It's just also, also, you know, when I say make sure your opportunity is your best stuff, uh, sometimes, if, if you if you give somebody like Carrie or like any number of the names you just said, and and the script, and and you read somebody, and you go, eh, that may be that only chance you get from that person, because the next time they see that, they'll 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 go, hmm, I read this one, I read this person, I, I'm guilty of it, I've done it, I've said, oh yeah, I yeah, know, I read so and so, I didn't I didn't particularly well, read them again, they've grown up a lot. You know, and it's true. You have to you can force yourself to remain open to that stuff when you're a grumpy old man. I would also encourage you to write lots of different kinds of projects because in Canada, unlike the states, um, you don't get pigeonholed as a writer particularly. I mean, I have a resume that has um, animation and kids and one hour, half hour. Um, so I I think because there are so few opportunities to be in a room in Canada, it's good to keep all your options open. I had the privilege of uh, watching Will and Grace sh- taping last week, uh, which reminded me how good Eric is, by the way, because he's such a different character. I, that's a whole world that I tried to break into when, with my American agent 20 years ago, and he said, no, you can't. It's comedy or drama. You can't. What are you, what are you doing? Pick one. Uh, that's a bit silly. I, maybe, maybe we're lucky in that respect. Hi. Uh, you were saying talking about uh, reading new stuff. Do you have any prefer- uh, preference between a spec script or an original pilot? Um, with a spec, uh, you run the risk of the showrunner or the person who you um, are giving the script to doesn't know or isn't familiar with the ser- series, especially now when there's, I think, what's the number? Uh, two and a half million sh- television shows on right now. Um <laughs> uh, so, like, if you gave me a spec, whatever, and, and I hadn't, I wasn't familiar with the series, that, that's a bit of a downside. The plus side of a spec is you're showing the showrunner you can write for somebody else's voice. Like, if, I re- if, you, if it is a show that I'm familiar with and love, and you nail that character voice, or at least I, it's like, ooh, this is just like the show, then that's huge. That means that, oh, he, this person can write characters that they didn't invent in their own head. They can they can copy another writer's voice, and that's the skill in television in many many ways. When you say uh, writing writing a, a pre-existing voice, uh, uh, as opposed to you know the one that you're creating for the first time, and you're, but having said that, a good pilot is pretty damn hard to argue with. They're really hard though. That's the other difficult things about pilots. They're trying to achieve an awful lot. I don't really think I've yet written a good one, and I've written a lot of them. And by that I mean, you, you, when I look back on them, I go, oh, jeez, what a piece of crap. Because it, it, it was just set up, set up, set up, or whatever it was doing. It didn't, it didn't achieve you know, everything a pilot needs to achieve. Uh, they're, they're hard. And so you're asking, so, so in that sense, you know, that if, you, if you give me a pilot that I think is fabulous, you know, you've really achieved something. But at the same time, now, now I'm going to ask you to do voices for characters that I've created, and, and that's a different skill set. So it's both. You kind of need both. And I like it when, if I like one writer and I say, this is great, give me another one. That's great. You have to have more than one. Hi. Just on that note, what do you think is, is more popular in Canada, 
for Canadian writing, for television. Sing Sao, we're so famous for our comedy, but we don't really do comedy. It's drama or what? <laughs> oh, oh, I, well, you know, when the CFC program uh, gave me a bunch of scripts, there was like a few comedies, uh, a few fantasies. A few, I don't care about the genre. You know, whatever genre you're good at, I, I, I can read, you know, whatever it is. Comedy is a very different uh, animal in that it's bloody hard. Uh, like the, the when you see uh, a, a Will and Grace or any uh, Big Bang Theory, like a dozen people have written that script, and constantly every day for like this funnier, 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 funnier. That's their job, and and it's a different animal. No one person sits down and writes a, an episode of a situation comedy. It doesn't doesn't happen. So you're you're uh, if you do a, a half hour spec comedy, it's it's going to suffer from not having by being compared to something that has been written by you know twelve very highly paid comic writers. It's a different animal. Uh, just a little question on style. It seems that over time, especially here in North America, that shows rather than having kind of a, a progression of scenes moving along, are now intercutting back and forth between concurrent scenes as a style of writing and shooting. Is that necessary now? Uh, no. No? Oh, okay. <laughs> for me, for me, for me, uh, it depends on this, on this, particularly on the story that you're trying to do. Uh, it, in this case, I, I had to introduce a new uh, antagonist but I also had to dig us out of a hole. And so I just cut back and forth between what really amounted to two A stories. I would not recommend doing that. I did it. I do a lot of stuff that I don't recommend doing. Um, but, uh, but in terms of, uh, you mean real-time intercutting? I, I, I think so. Uh, I think uh, it's just, there's a little bit, it's a little bit more sophisticated. And, uh, and I think audiences were kind of are more demanding of that in terms of pace. Um, one linear story uh, and just staying within it, like a play, for example, would be. Uh, it's it's excellent when you can pull it off, uh, but uh, it's it's less common nowadays, I think, because it's more difficult to do well. Hello, and thank you for the great talk. Um, what do you think makes a good pilot, or what do you think you haven't accomplished yet, either with a pilot or with an episode? What makes a good pilot is only, there's only really one thing, if you write a pilot script, is it, it A, made somebody buy a season, <laughs> or B, made the viewers who saw that pilot uh, watch the next episode. Uh, if you can do that, then you've, you've succeeded. The, the gravy on top of that is, for me, if you also happen to make it something that was in and of itself a fulfilling hour or two hours or half hour of, of television. Um, it, 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 uh, the pilot of Travelers was cool, but it, it, it was really only part one of, um, of what the show is. It didn't really lay out entirely what the show is. Uh, the last line of the, of the script was, let's begin, which... I kind of thought it was cool at the time, but in retrospect, I think it was kind of stupid. <laughs> because if I hadn't sold the show and they didn't buy it, it let's begin. <laughs> Please, no. You know, so so if I had, you know, it could have been, it could have uh, snapped me in the ass. Um, other prob other problems with other pilots I've done are are along those lines. Um, uh, something that is a, a compelling hour that tells a story that feels like it has had an ending and yet sets up something else and 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 reveals characters, but that but that isn't just this dirge of here's to this person, this person, this person. All of those things in the short time you have is is uh, is difficult. That's why that's why pilot directors do so well. I mean, there are directors in television who are known as pilot directors because they know that 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 the that it's not just the words it's the it's what is the visual style what is the cinem cinematography style 
what is you know the cut what is the editorial style uh going to be it's not and and you're and you're setting a tone for the whole show you just can't go okay you make it this way you make it this way you make it this way not that I haven't done that in the past. <laughs> but to do it well, you want to set not just the writing style of a, of a show, but the, the visual style. And, and so you want to work with your pilot director like your co-writer. Because you're casting with them, too. Casting a pilot is the most important thing, period. It just is. That's what Diane wanted to talk about. <laughs> Okay, I think we have time for one more question. Um, hi, uh, my name is Jason, and I just wanted to ask your opinion on the, on the issue of cultural appropriation. What do you think can can um, uh, can a uh, predominantly white writer's room, for example, tell an Asian story or or black story, for example? I think I think the answer is to is to avoid uh, having entirely white male writer's rooms. I mean, that's the way it has been in a few of my rooms. But when I, when I did the CFC, we, we were uh, uh, six women and, and, and three men. It was fun. It was a very different experience, culturally across the board. Um, having said that, uh, I don't even, I wouldn't argue that is the meaning of cultural appropriation. Um, I, I, I think it might be, it could be in, in any given script, but uh, I try to only tell stories that I feel qualified to tell or that our writer's room feels qualified to tell. And and there are uh, there are times, especially, in, and it's not just, you know, you're talking about uh, ethnicity, it's also age. Uh, it's, it's harder and harder as I get closer to 60. <laughs> uh. Uh, that uh, to 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 write younger people, a younger voice, and to you know with with any validity. Um, but the I, honestly, the only real answer to your question is is for there to be a, a diversity in the workplace and uh, in the writers' room. It's just the only real answer to that question. Thank you so much for being patient. I'm so glad I made it here. <laughs> Thanks very much, Brad, and thanks for listening to Writers Talking TV coming to you from Vancouver's Van City Theatre. Writers Talking TV is presented by the Writers Guild of Canada. All of the Writers Talking TV podcasts can be found on the Writers Guild website, wgc.ca, and at iTunes. And a special thanks today to John Ward for recording today's podcast. He regularly interviews screenwriters for his own podcast, 49 Degrees North Writers Podcast. I'm Sarah Dodd. Thanks for listening.